Hello to the podcast world. <laughs> welcome, welcome out there. <laughs> that was bad because I did it really quiet. <laughs> hey, welcome. How are you? <laughs> Hello and welcome to our podcast, The Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. Nice, creative introduction. I was just trying to do something a little different, but Zach kept laughing at me, so we're not going to edit that out. Sorry. Hey, this is episode 40, and we're excited. If I could do sound effects in the background, if we had cool sound effect music. You'd make some... I'd make like little sparkling noises. There you go. Sparkle, sparkle. Thank you for sticking with us for 40 episodes. This has been... That's a big deal. It is. And this has been really, really fun for us. And it's been fun to to meet so many of you and to interact and to hear um, how your scripture study is going, how it's improving, how it's increasing, and and to be a small part of that. And so we're excited. We're excited that we're this far. I can't believe we've made it this far, but I'm glad we have because it's... Yeah, it's far. This is Third <laughs> Nephi 17 through 19. We're in the middle of the sermons from the Savior as he visits the Nephites and really excited for what we've got tonight. Yeah, so let's, um, we are going to share a study tip that was a comment left on our Instagram feed that we just thought was really fun. So it is from Harvey Jennifer, and she says, I just listened to your podcast this morning. Thank you for the time you both put into sharing and teaching me. I enjoy listening and learning from your podcast. Thank you. (laughs) She says, my usual method of listening to the podcast is in my sewing room working on never-ending projects. I listen and jot down what I'm learning, and then I go back and read the scripture study chapters and listen again. The second time, I put my work away and concentrate on writing my thoughts from what is being discussed on the podcast. Again, thank you for a wonderful and helpful podcast. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I'm assuming that's her first name because <laughs> I wasn't sure, but um, hopefully you're out there listening. Um, I just love that idea of um, listening and then coming back to it and coming back again. Like, what a great way to learn and kind of repeat what is happening. And I would say that this could apply to anything. Like, I mean, I think it's awesome that she's doing it with the podcast, but maybe it's a block of scriptures or maybe it's just one chapter of scriptures that you're, that you're using the same, same idea of listening, then reading, pondering, then going back and then journaling. Mm -hmm. Like that is a powerful study right there. And I just, I just love that, um, that method that she's using. I like that she mentioned she will, uh, pause her study to write thoughts that are coming into her mind which is, again, great for the podcast. We really do hope that our podcast is ultimately transforming your scripture study into something that's exciting and meaningful to you. Uh, But I think this also applies to scripture study. Um, My MTC president's wife on our first day in the MTC shared a thought with us that I've always remembered. She showed us a page from her notebook um, and instructed us on how to take notes the way that she did. She said before she takes notes on anything, she'll divide her page in half. On the left-hand side of the page, she'll take notes on what the speaker says. And on the right-hand side of the page, she'll take notes on thoughts and feelings and impressions that come to her while the speaker is speaking. And she just remarked that as she's progressed in life, 
the left-hand side of her pages have gotten shorter and shorter, and the right-hand side has gotten longer and longer, meaning she's taking more notes on things that aren't actually said in the meeting but are conveyed to her privately in her mind and in her heart. And I think that's the ultimate goal of Scripture study. It's not that you come away with a highlightable verse, even though that's wonderful. It's that you come away with thoughts and feelings and impressions that connect you to your God and make your life better. And so a really practical way to do that is to stop your scripture study and grab something to write with and, and write thoughts and feelings that you're having as you're studying. They may be related to what you're studying. They may be completely different, but they will almost invariably come from God to you. I think that also applies to not only writing down, but the pondering, those just those thoughts and impressions that you gain as you study that, that connect us back to God is really what study is all about. Yeah. All right. To begin, I want to read a quote that I've loved from Elder Gene R. Cook. He comments on President Spencer W. Kimball and says that once a man came up and asked President Kimball, what do you do when you find yourself in a boring sacrament meeting? This is Elder Cook now. There was silence for a moment, and then President Kimball said, I don't know. I've never been in one. Then Elder Cook remarks, that's interesting, isn't it? That tells me that the real meeting is really between President Kimball and the Lord, in addition to what was happening in sacrament meeting. If you are just in the meeting, you are in the wrong meeting, and you will miss most of what is said. That connects really well to our study tip, and I think it also lines up what we're going to study in 3 Nephi 17 through 19. In these chapters, the Savior takes some things that can become boring or rote or repetitive in our lives, and he transforms them. Case in point, chapter 17, right at the beginning of the chapter, he tells the people that he's going to leave, that his time is up and he's going to leave. But then verse 5, it came to pass that when Jesus had thus spoken, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude and beheld they were in tears and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And he said unto them, behold, my bowels are filled with compassion towards you. So this meeting is going so well that they don't even want it to end. And they're not disappointed. A couple of verses later, the Savior prays, and this is the narration of his prayer. No tongue can speak, neither can there be written by man, neither can the hearts of men conceive so great and marvelous things as we both saw and heard Jesus speak. Verse 24, after the prayer, they looked to behold, and they cast their eyes towards heaven, and they saw the heavens open, and they saw angels descending out of heaven as it were in the midst of fire, and they came down and encircled those little ones about, and they were encircled about with fire, and the angels did minister unto them. It's a pretty cool meeting to be a part of, right? Mm -hmm. Chapter 19, it gives more. In the middle of a prayer, it remarks that the Savior, again, says things that they can't even write because it's so incredible and so amazing. The Savior's taken some things that in our lives can become boring or can become rote and repetitive and transform them into incredible spiritual experiences. And what we want to study in this episode is how can we do that same thing? How can we take our relationship with our children, our church meetings, and our prayers, three things that we have a lot of in our lives, and that if we're not careful, 
can get boring. How can we take those three things and transform them into incredible spiritual experiences like the Savior did? So first off, continuing on in chapter 17, this is what Zach just read. He was filled with compassion. He decides to say, stay. In the following verses, he has them bring their sick and their lame to him, and then he calls their the children. Um, and he says, When he had said these words, he wept, and the multitude bear record of it. And he took their little children, one by one, and blessed them, and prayed unto the Father for them. We had a couple, let's see, two episodes ago was our episode one by one where on in third Nephi 11 where he blesses the people one by one and here he is again blessing the children one by one you get the sense that this is the way that he does things right this is the way that he chooses to minister to people is one by one yeah just like we're supposed to i um had a message actually from a few episodes back was it the same it was a little bit further back, I think, that we used some audio, a study tip from a friend of ours, from Kim Stoddard. Um, and I apologize for the sound quality. That episode was kind of bad Damn. sound quality. Anyway, fault, but not hers. Yes. And so um, anyway, she shared a really cool thought with me in pertaining to that. So when I read these, I just couldn't help but want to share a few of her thoughts, which were just that. Um, but, you know, we, we do a lot of things one by one in the church covenants there's the temple all of these things one by one that can kind of also become pretty much everything meaningful we take the sacrament one at a time we do temple ordinances one at a time we do baptisms one at a time and sometimes you think he's you know she brought up the point that he's all powerful we could probably get this over with pretty quickly but then you realize especially when you look at the way the savior ministered to these people one by one that's just the pattern that he works with everything. And so here he is um, ministering one by one. And the thought that she had to go along with that was the power that she's felt as she has applied this to her own children, ministering one by one to their needs. And not just, not in big ways, but those small ways of thinking about them, maybe pulling them aside, ministering that to them spiritually, feeding them spiritually, and really being mindful about what they need as individuals which becomes so powerful. I know that's something that we've kind of tried to do as we've heard advice from other people doing like one-on-one dates. And that's something Kim brought up too, um, one-on-one dates with your kids. But that was just becoming overwhelming for her family at this time. But you know what? She decided it didn't need to be a big show. It could just be these small moments that you're taking one-on-one with your kids to... um, maybe talk to them a little extra or ask them how their day was and bear testimony to them or hear their testimony. Yeah. These very small teaching moments. I think one of the the ways that our relationship with family in general, but maybe especially with our children, gets repetitive is when we focus just on the group. I have to wake the children up. I have to feed the children breakfast. I have to get the children ready for, for school. I have to get them home from school. I have to help them do their homework. And those focus on big level Uh, multiple children activities do get repetitive. However, each child is this little microcosm of unique personality and traits, thoughts, and feelings that they have on any given day. Now, I know what we're asking. I know what we're talking about because this this takes a lot of time. This takes effort. 
the verse I really liked in chapter 17. It's just one word in verse 15. When he had said these words, he himself also knelt upon the earth. Um, I've noticed that the Savior does this a lot when he wants to talk to someone. Uh, The example that comes to mind is the woman taken in adultery when they throw her at the feet of the Savior, and he kneels down, and he refuses to talk to her until everyone else is gone. So he wants to be one-on-one, but he kneels down. He goes to the effort of being on her level and talking to her individually. And I think that's such a beautiful way for how to how to approach in a new and exciting and ultimately spiritual way our children um, is those one-on-one moments. And you mentioned we've, we've been trying to do this with our kids and it pays huge dividends. And we're talking like a trip to the mailbox or a trip to the grocery store or taking one kid upstairs to clean up and talking with them. Those little things are golden or have been golden at least for us. Mm-hmm. I like that you mentioned that verse 15, that he kneels down, but what does he do before he talks to them? He's talking to God and praying to God about what he can do for these people. At least that would be an assumption of one of the things he was praying for. And I think that's something that I've just recently started doing is also really praying for my kids as individuals um, to know what they need individually and how I can minister to them. I think this one's kind of funny because Kim used this example too of like, you know, we feed our kids. It's like, got to feed the kids, got to do this, got to do this in these groups. And me as the mom, I do feel that a lot because it's like, all I'm doing is these like feed, 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 right. But, um, and then I compare it to the times when I take my kids out like to dinner and all we're doing is sitting and eating together. How much more I get to like notice the little things about them that I don't see when I'm just going through the motions of of feeding them. So it's more than just reading a scripture to all the kids, but taking that time a little a I little just, extra. I had a student a couple of years ago that I'll never forget. We had just gotten back from spring break, and I was asking students where they went, what they did, and the student said in this exact tone of voice, "We went to France." And I said, "You don't sound all that excited about it." He's like, "No, I wasn't really." We go every year. I said, well, I'll, joking, I'll trade you spots. You can go to St. George and I'll go to France. Uh, and then he said this in a, in a rare moment. I don't know if he intended to be this candid, but he said, I really would just love to spend time with my parents. And in that moment, I had this mini glimpse into his life. Here he has parents who love him and care about him. But the way that they're showing their love is by providing him with this experience. They're giving him something They're just not giving him them, at least for his perspective. Um, That marketing campaign from the church that family isn't it about time, it's a heavy lift to set aside the time and the effort to be one-on-one with children. But I think the Savior serves as a great example for that's the way to liven up our relationship with our children. Seeing them as individuals just as Christ did. I I really like that. And we'll stop talking about this one because we could probably go go on on this subject forever. (laughs) (laughs) So the next chapter, chapter 18. Okay, in chapter 18, the Savior administers the sacrament to them. And I think you had a thought first on this one. Yeah, so starting in verse 3. And when the disciples had come with bread and wine, he took of the bread and brake and blessed it. And he gave unto the disciples and commanded that they should eat. When they had eaten and were filled... He commanded that they should give unto the multitude. And when the multitude had eaten and were filled, um, and then it is said again, as they did drink in verse nine, and it came to pass that they did so and did drink of it and were filled. 
and they gave unto the multitude, and they did drink, and they were filled. Now, what I thought about this was, they obviously weren't filled because it was very small pieces of bread and just a little bit of water. So what were they filled with? What are we filling ourselves with? And that was what became meaningful to me was, what am I really filling myself with? And what are they filling themselves with? It's not that feeling of like, oh, I just had a a meal and I'm done. But um, this is the where we turn a meetings into something that we're just sitting in into something that you're something spiritual something that is filling you up something you're getting out of it again going back to that quote the real meeting is between president kimball and the lord or between between me and the lord it doesn't matter who's at the pulpit or what they're saying if that real meeting if i can tap into that real meeting between me and the lord he will fill my soul even if the person at the pulpit is a dry speaker or is going on and on about a vacation story. And maybe that's where we want to go with this is not really necessarily talking more about it, but as you think of the sacrament in the this next week or in these upcoming weeks is what is filling you and what is the purpose of sacrament? What are we building? What is the purpose of being quote unquote filled in our sacrament meetings and in that specific ordinance. What I think is really interesting here is, as I was trying to look for something that the Savior did to make this sacrament meeting uh, this powerful, where it filled people, this spiritual fulfillment, I noticed that he didn't do anything unique or different from what we do. Mm, He took the bread, he broke it, blessed it, and administered it. And he took the wine, poured it, administered it. That was it. He says in verse 12, I give unto you a commandment that you shall do these things, meaning the bread and the water, the bread and the wine. And if you shall always do these things, blessed are you, for you are built upon my rock. Now here's the verse that stood out. Verse 13, but whoso among you shall do more or less than these are not built upon my rock, but are built upon a sandy foundation. I think the idea or the fear of doing less than this in a meeting is understandable. We want to make sure that the sacrament is administered appropriately. We don't want to be casual about how we approach the meeting. We want to be reverent and respectful. You want to make sure you have enough bread. We want to make sure we have enough bread, right? We don't want less than this. But I wonder if doing more than this is actually the temptation we face more often in the church. Especially today. Yeah. Like in this... We give we give lip service a lot that the sacrament is the most important meeting. However, if you look at the time and the energy and the thought that is expended in planning other meetings, activities, get-togethers, parties, etc., church-wide, we're talking about a planning meeting for the activity and a planning meeting to get ready for that planning meeting and a ward council to set up that planning meeting to get ready for the planning meeting for the activity. And we've got emails and we've got refreshments and we've got purchases and reimbursement. I mean, it's it's big. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's bad. I love, we're ward party nerds. We go to every ward party and we love them and we love the social ability that's there. But I sometimes wonder, are we doing more than this? Meaning, are we overshadowing the simplicity of gospel ordinances, of gospel teaching, and of gospel relationships by overcomplicating it. Is sacrament meeting something that's simple and pure, or is it getting complicated? 
Is gospel doctrine something that's simple and pure, or is it overcomplicated? And I think that if we can make an effort as, as, as individuals in a ward, maybe you have some ability to have sway over meetings, as we make an effort to simplify, to do what the Savior did and keep things simple, I think there's a lot of beauty and power in simple covenant-making, covenant-keeping, gospel-teaching and learning meetings. Well, I also think that applies to specifically the sacrament meeting. It doesn't need to be a big show. It doesn't need to be the focus is, is the sacrament itself. Makes me think of other meetings too, outside of church meetings, like a family home evening, right? Does a family home evening need to be big and elaborate in order to be meaningful? No, it might be that this, the best family home meetings are the simple ones, where there's simple scripture and simple teaching and learning and time to talk with, with family members. Um presidency meetings. The next presidency meeting that you have, consider how could we make it simple? How can we make sure we do no more than what it is that God wants us to do? Okay. Lastly, chapter 19. In chapter 18, the Savior uh, prays or commands them to pray. Prays in chapter 17, commands them to pray in chapter 18. And then in chapter 19, the Savior prays as well. Beginning in chapter 18, however, there are a couple of verses that have always kind of bothered me until just this morning. This is chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. And whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, which is right, believing that you shall receive, behold, it shall be given unto you. Now, I've directed students to that verse and had them make a list. What do you have to do in order to get your prayers answered? Well, you have to ask what's right. You have to believe that you'll receive it. Um, And you have to, that was it, believe that it'll be given to you. And we're okay with the faith part. I believe that God answers prayers. Um, In other places, it talks about praying in sincerity of heart. We're okay with that. Or praying um, with a a dedication or with a desire to do good. We're okay with that. But the part that always sticks is praying for what is right. How do you know what's right? Because I know of a lot of people, myself included, that have prayed for right things and that prayer isn't answered. And we're not talking answered in a different way. I mean, it's flat out not answered or it's not given. And I thought I was praying for something right. And so in my mind, again, up until this morning, praying for what's right has always been this guessing game of trying to guess or reason out what would be right. However, in verse 21, I found this key. Pray in your families unto the Father, always in my name, that your wives and your children may be blessed. Back up in verse 16. As I have prayed among you... Even so shall you pray in my church among my people who do repent and baptize in my name. Behold, I am the light. I have set an example for you. Um, I was reading this morning in the Guide to the Scriptures on prayer, and there was a comment in there that I loved. It says this, We pray to the Father in Christ's name. We are truly able to pray in Christ's name when our wishes are the wishes of Christ. So if I can sew all of these together, here's the thought. When we do something in someone's name, we are acting as if we are that person. If I sign a check in my wife's name and your name, I'm signing it as if I'm you. I'm doing exactly what you would do. To pray in the name of Christ is to pray what Christ would pray or pray how Christ would pray. Now that takes a lot of work because now I have to study his prayers 
and understand and get to know him well enough that I know when I'm kneeling at my bed what it is that Christ would pray for in this situation and how he would pray for it. And if I'm to pray in the name of Christ, that's how I pray. I pray following his example. I pray for the kinds of things he would pray for in the way that he would pray. And that's how I can can completely transform my prayers. Here in verse 9, so chapter 19, verse 9, it said, And they did pray, the disciples, they did pray for that which they most desired, and they desired that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them. And I just thought that is so cool. They want the Holy Ghost for the reason of knowing, and they desire that greatly because they want to know what to pray for and how to pray. And... In earlier chapters, Jesus told them that they should pray for the Holy Ghost. So they know that they should pray for that, and they're praying for it. Yeah, and here they are in verse 24. He came unto his disciples, and behold, they did still continue without ceasing to pray unto him. And they did not multiply many words, for it was given unto them what they should pray. And they were filled with desire. I think that those two verses kind of link together. Here they are being filled with what to pray for because they have the spirit with them. They've been praying for that spirit to be with them. And then they know what to communicate. And I also like that it says they did not multiply many words. So it wasn't anything complicated. It didn't need to be anything complicated. <laughs> There's no other word for that. Again, but, simple, right? Yeah, Something simple. that's simple. Thank you. That was the Nothing word. Nothing more or less. Mm-hmm. Great cross-reference, John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. If my words, meaning God's words, Jesus' words, are the words that are coming out of your mouth, then you are truly praying in the name of Christ, and then your prayers will be answered without fail. I couldn't help but think of John fourteen twenty six that the Holy Ghost will tell us all mm. things what we should do, um, and that includes our prayers. It makes me think then that I need to spend more time before I pray Um, either studying the scriptures or at least meditating or pondering on what it is that I want, wrestling my desires so that they match the Savior's desires, and then in my prayer, trying to pray the way that he would pray. And that's that's going to take a lot of practice for me to do that, but it's something as of this morning I'm planning on doing and I'm excited to get started. The words that they often use in verse 19 is that desire. They were filled with desire. They wanted this desire. And then in verse in chapter 17, um, it talks about the multitude being filled with joy. There's three verses in a row, starting in verse 17. And no tongue can speak, neither can there be written by any man, neither can the hearts of men conceive so great and marvelous things as we both saw and heard Jesus speak. And no one can conceive of the joy which filled our souls at the time we heard him pray for us unto the Father. And then verse 18, But so great was the joy of the multitude that they were overcome. And then again, lastly, in verse 20, Jesus says, And now behold, my joy is full. I can't help but think that those desires and this this joy that they feel, it's so pure. And that's the joy that we're all seeking as we come to know and understand and align our wills with the Savior and with God and what they really want from us. That's where joy is found. I think if we can 
transform our relationship with our children, our experience in meetings, and maybe most, I don't know, most importantly, but, but lastly, our experience in prayer, our relationship with God in prayer. If we can transform those into meaningful, powerful, spiritual experiences, I think our joy will be filled with joy with our children, joy with, with fellow saints in meetings, and joy with our God. Thank you so much for studying with us this episode. It has been a pleasure to study, and hopefully it's given you some practical ideas of things that you can do. I know it's given us some ideas of things that we want to try and practice. Give us your feedback. Give us your experiences. If you have things to add to this, then add it to it and let us know. If you have experiences from it, then let us know that. But thanks for studying with us, and we will see you next episode.